This is the Enneagram 8 Podcast, and we're here to take you inside the armor. Drew has the same stacking as me, sexual self-pres with social last, and the two of us are equally baffled by Aaron's social superpowers. We think it was pretty important to be able to interview a male eight with sexual first as an instinct because stereotypically, I think this kind of energy is associated with women. But that is just another stereotype we are happy to dismantle. We've got some fresh blood here. (laughs) (laughs) I'm nervously excited. I enjoy listening to you guys. I don't get to catch every episode, but I listen to as many of them as I can. That's not a prerequisite. (laughs) I am just outside of Greensboro, North Carolina. You sound very Southern. I'm sure we sound Canadian, but you can hear from the... (laughs) (laughs) We need a bio. Like, just introduce yourself a little since we're starting fresh with you. I believe that our connection to you is Chelsea, right? Yeah. So I know Chelsea from high school. In short, uh, I'm Drew Ernest. I grew up in Southern Virginia, went off to college, to the University of Virginia, and really moved away from home and never quite came back uh, until recently. I have a two and a half year old with my wife, and we decided it was time to move closer to grandparents so mm-hmm. little man can, can get to know his family. Outside of that, Work-wise, I am a corporate manager with a demolition company. I get to travel to cool places and see some really neat projects and and help find ways to bring them down, uh, whether that be mechanically or explosively. Get to help pursue and chase new work. And then um, I like to think of myself somewhere between a a helper and a problem solver. So if we have complex projects or or difficulty with something or or someone, uh, I like to get involved and help find ways forward. I had like a physical reaction of satisfaction when you said that you kind of destroy things for a living. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's unique and it's a lot of fun. And there's really not a lot of people out there that get to say they get to do that for a profession. So (laughs) um, yeah, it is very satisfying physically for sure. and, And cognitively, absolutely. It's a lot more complex than, than I think some folks may realize. And there's a lot of engineering and calculating that goes into it. There's not a lot of room for error in some cases, especially if you're imploding a high-rise building in a downtown urban environment. Do you have five in your tri-type? Do you know your tri-type? I do not know my tri-type definitively, but I really resonate with, I think, the 864. Are you very reactive? (laughs) Unfortunately, yes, yes, I can be. (laughs) Um, I've made a lot of effort in the last couple of years through some really constructive feedback from some folks who are close to me and try to be better about being reactive and and sit with my emotions and sit with my thoughts uh, before I just speak. But yes, to answer your question, I, I can be very reactive much more often than I care to admit. Yeah, if you answered that any other way, I would have said that's not your tri type. <laughs> okay, so how about your Enneagram journey? How did you get involved with Enneagram and what made you go? I'm totally an eight. I, I got to give that credit to Chelsea. She had made a post on one of her socials that referenced being a type eight. And my first thought was, what in the world is an Enneagram? I am one of those creatures that is always striving to learn something new. Uh, I'll 
pick my hobbies based off of curiosity or wanting to pick up a new skill. So I happened to be on vacation at the time and had nothing but time on my hands and just started doing a little research and figuring out what the Enneagram was. And just a lot of the things that I was reading about eights really resonated. So it was really, I'll say easy for lack of a better word, to, to feel comfortable deciding that I was a type eight. Yeah, that was our story. Well, not Aaron's story. That was my story. I, I have a theory on that. I think the socials have a little bit of a harder time just completely grabbing the eight and running with it because there's a few things we don't line up with. But I think for the uh, the sexual eight, especially, you line up with a it's lot of the easy. eight stuff. Definitely. And you mentioning the social eight, I'd never really thought about my stacking before either. But after listening to the last few episodes of your guys's podcast for this new season, I definitely have to put social last at the bottom of my stack. It was very easy for me to, to kind of come to that conclusion after listening to you guys and reading a few things again, but to look back in hindsight at my life and think, okay, you know, if I'm at a party or a social event, I'm not necessarily there willingly or enthusiastically. I'll go, <laughs> I'll have a, a good time. Like I like to talk to people. I like to meet people, but I definitely am that guy that will find, you know, one person, two people, and I will talk to them as long as I can. You know, in a group setting, I tend to be the observer, the listener. And when I translate that into work and into my profession and career, uh, especially when I'm in positions where I'm leading teams and managing people, I found that my management style is not so much the, you know, get in front of the room and grandstand. It's listen to what folks have to say, pull people to the side after the fact and kind of direct them on where I think things need to go from, from the information I have. And I like to help give people the tools, especially anybody that works for me or that I, I mentor, for lack of a better word, to come to their own conclusions, make their own decisions and feel supported by their leader as opposed to just telling them what to do from the front. I'm sexual second, so social sexual. That analogy about the party, going back to that, if I'm not throwing the party, I am you. I am going in and I'm looking for one or two people I know well, and I just want to hone in on them. I'm not a life of the party. I'm not there to like meet everybody and float around or whatever. I actually just want safety and security and my like couple people I can go deep and real with. But the thing is, you, you usually but, throw all the parties. So that, but, that's <laughs> not, not only that, but, but the difference is that when I am with those people, because I am social first, I am scanning the room. I'm always aware of who is coming and who is going. I'm always aware of kind of the feel or the vibe in the room. I would say I probably struggle to to recognize the feel or the vibe <laughs> yeah. sometimes. Yeah, and you might even if even if social did end up second. So why don't we launch into um the nitty-gritty of the sexual eight? So on Enneagrammer, they often as a high view, they'll say that your Enneagram type is the strategy you use to meet your needs. And so it's either using your sexual or your social or your self-press. So if you are using your SX as a strategy, then you are moving towards something, disrupting something with great intensity to meet your drive to capture the interest of someone. Would you say that resonates? <laughs> Very much so. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. The intensity part, for sure. Like, I, I never really thought about intensity or would describe a relationship as intense before I really got to know the Enneagram, at least the way that I do, and learn about 
how I identify. And I look back at some of the relationships I've had or some of the relationships I do have. And intensity is a very good descriptor. You <laughs> how know, people even, respond to you? I'm curious. It's been, I would say, a mixed bag. Some folks I, I've really connected with, there's a natural connection there. There's just, there's no denying that chemistry. The intensity is met with, I would say positively, but, you know, not without its limitations or not without it. Hey, I understand what you're saying. I understand what you want, but I need you to slow down. Be patient. <laughs> they so, say sometimes they use excessive force. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> we often don't know it until later. Exactly. And yeah. several times, especially in the last couple of years, I've gotten that feedback or received that feedback. It's been very eye-opening and made me tempt to slow down. I'm not going to say that I have slowed down, but to at least try to take a step back and, and to yeah. look at my own behavior and the way that I come across to folks. That is the goal, right? Like they do say that your first instinct is autopilot. You don't have to think about it. You're going to do it without ever knowing or thinking about it. So to have to Very much pause so. and then see how we're <laughs> impacting others is the work. I'm not sure the goal would be to stop doing it. That's not your first goal because you can't. You can't actually stop. But no. the goal would be to have the humility to say, I think I'm being intense right now. <laughs> Very much so. You talk about it being autopilot and it's just, that is such a good word to use because again, tying it into my own history, my own day to day, I can see those things where it might be someone I really care about, someone I want to get to know. It might be something I'm interested in learning about. I don't want to do it slowly. I want to learn and immerse myself as deep as possible to learn and take in as much as I can as quickly as I can. And it's like, I want to go from, you know, a novice at something to just a full-fledged expert, you know, no matter who you are, that's not, it's not really possible. It takes time. It takes experience and practice. And I just, I think being on autopilot as a sexual eight, it, it really drives me to just go all in on things or even people and the recognition or having those reminders that, hey, you're you're being a little assertive, you're being a little intense has been good to help me kind of reflect and recognize that a little bit better being on autopilot. They talk about sexual eights in the Enneagram literature as being not contained, but being not contained gives you excess energy, right? Which is actually a superpower for you guys because your excess energy <laughs> goes passionately into other humans too, right? So it's that same thing where our biggest crutch can be our best superpower at the same time. I would agree with that. I've noticed that excess energy is, you know, when you've got a lot of it and you know, when you've got a little bit of it and I will find a way to manifest that physically and try to exhaust myself. So <laughs> if I can't pour that into something or to someone or, or recognize that, Hey, that's probably not a good idea right now. <laughs> then that energy gets focused on, you know, maybe going for a run or, or getting some kind of workout in because it's got to go somewhere. <laughs> otherwise you're going to drive yourself. Crazy. <laughs> so true. It's so true. The first area of our superpowers is, and this is described by John Lukovich, arousal and repulsion. So this instinct really cares a lot about being energetically turned on, like being hooked in. And so I've used words on the podcast before about feeling like it's an addiction. You're going and moving where the juice is, where the energy is. And you're asking yourself, how deep can I get in this? How deep can I get into this person? And it can be that even repulsing someone is better than nothing <laughs> because it's still energy. 
I don't tend to do that. But if you have six in your tri-type, you might do it a little more. Where even if you are creating a reaction in someone, it's still more energy giving than creating no energy at all because we're allergic to dead energy. I would agree with that, especially for me, getting some kind of reaction, getting some kind of response gives me something to go on. It helps maybe guide me a little bit. If I don't get any response or any kind of reaction, I'm still trying to figure out what to do or where to go. Why? Like, why Uh, are they not reacting to my awesomeness? I would even go further to say, like going back to to being in the in the party as you know a social eight, picking up on vibes. That is something that I struggle with big time. Whether it be one on one or in a group setting, is okay. There's there's not a reaction here because I'm I'm making this person uncomfortable or annoying them, and I, I struggle to pick up like the the saying, you know, quit while you're ahead. I, I really. I really need to learn how to quit. I'm going to say that quit while you're ahead is just not a sentence that shows up for social laughs. No, it is not. (laughs) And maybe it needs to be, but I don't know that it ever will. See, that's where Erin, she totally manages this with me. She knows when to quit. She can tell exactly (laughs) when we need to move off. And I can't tell. (laughs) (laughs) So you then relate to, and we talk about a guy named Mario Sakura, and he focuses on the business world. But he just says that this particular type of energy doesn't have inhibition. We're pretty low in the inhibition. And that's what you're saying is we can't tell when to inhibit ourselves, like when it's appropriate. Correct. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. I'll ask questions. I want to know things. And even in my mind, I'm I'm thinking, okay, there's a reason I need to know. But the person or the people I'm asking those questions don't particularly agree with that or their perspective is different and I've often been slow or just plain failed to realize and yeah. I've come across as very intrusive. Do you break the rules a lot? I want to say yes but I can't really break the rules if I'm the one making. I, Are there any I, rules I, you follow? No. Sadly <laughs> I won't say that's always the case but I do find myself breaking a lot of rules especially if I feel like I understand why that rule was made and can rationalize in my mind that that rule doesn't apply to me because of x y or z that's a very arrogant way to think it's very self-centered and and conceited but i would be lying to you if i told you that i did not do that so the next superpower is called transformation and display and it is how we tend to chemically fuse with people and you will relate to kind of that language of energy and chemistry and it's something that we can't necessarily put into words but it's something we sense and we move towards those energies and we're really looking to be impacted by someone and to impact there's like other words imprint is another one i use leave an impression am i leaving my mark yeah kind of thing am i getting inside this person am i making the impact so do you relate to that i do specifically especially as it relates to to my professional career, I find myself replaying conversations, first encounters with folks in my mind after the fact, kind of asking myself, okay, did I sound like an idiot? I will worry myself sometimes far more than I should. And will ask someone, you know, how, how do you think that went? And they're like, yeah, you knocked it out. You told him what he needed to hear or her what she wanted to know and you're, you're fine. 
but I am often looking to make sure seeking some kind of validation, whether within myself or externally that I I've made some kind of lasting impression on, on a person that I have interacted with. I'm curious about the words you would use to say what you're hoping to impact people with, because each type will have a different focus. So the way I'd word it is I want people to change spiritually. Like that is my MO is I am hoping people's souls and spirits are being transformed. And that's what I am always looking for with myself. For me, I want to impact the relationship. I want to be seen as someone that can be trusted or looked upon as they're capable or know what they're doing. So someone they would come to for help, for like clarity on things or... Of course, absolutely. As a eight, four, seven, I don't care at all that I'm seen as capable. You don't want to be seen as stupid or dumb. Yes, that has to do with rejection, not for what I can offer intellectually. It has everything to do with whether they see value in my spirit, my soul, like, it's very, very deep in me to want to feel like I'm making someone thrive internally. Would you relate Uh, to that statement that you would like to see someone thrive internally? For sure. Absolutely. (laughs) Kind of tying back into when I was talking about just my leadership tactic or the way I manage things, giving folks the opportunity to, to make their own choices and know that they have support. I find myself talking kind of relating a lot professionally, I guess, in this conversation. But that's that's a big thing for me. A sense of internal accomplishment is if the people that I have helped in any way or interacted with, maybe not necessarily helped, but interacted with, to see them succeed or to grow is very rewarding to me as well. Well, the third area is chemistry. That has to do with broadcasting energetically out into a room hoping that somebody wants what you're broadcasting. (laughs) It's like, it's kind of that reeling in thing. Sure. So how does that show up for you? The first thing that comes to mind is that cliche saying there are plenty of fish in the sea. For me, it's, I'm not just out there casting and trying to catch a fish. I'm trying to catch the fish. Yes. Um, (laughs) Yes. If there are 12 fish in a room, 12 people in a room, I'm trying to figure out which one or two, maybe three that I just can really connect with and build some kind of relationship that is going to last longer than the time we're all in that room. That's an awesome way of putting it, especially the long lasting. That is pretty key to the SX. We want to seal the deal and relationships for us. We are hoping that they're going to be deep and forever. Not that other eights don't. It's just, we're really not transient people. No, I can relate to that 100%. And I even look back and I just I don't have a lot of friends, the friends that I do have the relationships I do have, I really try to nurture them to cultivate them to make an effort to maintain them because they're not superficial. It's not small talk. It's a Mm -hmm. real bond with that person. Would you relate to being more permeable and changeable if the person is the fish? that we've reeled in and we've vetted them and they are someone that we've let in. We want them to transform us. We want them to impact and change us. And that doesn't feel scary. It feels like life. If you had asked me that question two years ago, I would have told you absolutely not. But 
the last couple of years, two and a half years, uh, I just feel like I don't know if it's just I've, I've grown a little more, matured a little more. I've really leaned inwardly to learn more about me. But I feel like that I have made a change in the recent years that I would agree and say that I now have that welcoming approach, that willingness to change and be transformed. So when you were younger, did you have a lot of barriers up? A lot of barriers, very stubborn, very bullheaded, very... Were you openly rebellious? Yes. I was a complete pain to be around for some folks (laughs) because I just, this is the way, right? This is how it's supposed to be done. I don't know what you're doing, but you need to get your act together and... In my mind, it's holding people accountable or or holding them to standards and and not recognizing that the standard to which I'm holding them is just some arbitrary barrier that I put up in my own mind. I was very difficult, very frustrating to be around, I think, for a lot of people at a younger age. You know, growing up, it took life to happen for me to realize that, you know, hey, maybe everyone else isn't who has the problem here because you keep encountering these same types of issues independent of the, the types of people that you're around, then, you know, maybe, maybe you've got something you need to, to adjust internally. So I think over the course of the last decade, there's really been a lot of change for me internally that has made me, you know, maybe not less stubborn because there's still plenty of people that would call me that, but at least a lot more open-minded and patient, more willing to learn other perspectives and to hear other people. As an eight, you'll relate to rejection, but do you relate as as an SX8, what we're hunting for is to find that fish or two or three that we can let all the way in. That's what we actually really want. But because of the fear of rejection, we have certain mechanisms we put in place to hedge against the potential that the fish that we really, really want says F you. (laughs) And I read the funniest quote, and I just want to know if you relate to it. We will often make a really loud, big display and throw it out there. And then if the person, the fish that we wanted says no thanks, we just use the excuse that we're just too much for them to handle. And in so doing, it's a them problem. (laughs) I'm just too much of a good thing. (laughs) Recent years, I don't know that I would necessarily relate to that as much as I would have previously. It goes back to really, at least inwardly realizing that I've had to make some changes. I've had a very closed off, standoffish stubborn personality. And so realizing that I have issues of my own, I think now my first inclination would be if I made some grand showing, grand gesture, just outright blew up and that was not received well. Recently, the realization has been, man, Drew, you really, you really screwed up there. How do we need to fix that? It's a me problem, right? Instead of it's a them problem. You know, a few years ago, it would have been, okay, it's a them problem. I'm done with this, whatever. Yeah. And, and now it's the realization, wow, I, I really care about you or I have some kind of relationship with you and I would like to keep that. I would like to grow that relationship because you're important to me for whatever reason. I don't want to lose that. So I screwed up here. What do I need to do to fix this? Do you relate to being so very specific in our tastes and passions that it really is just the few people that want what we're offering? 
because of that specificity, whereas other eight might be more palatable to more people. Yeah, I, I think I relate to that for sure. I find myself identifying with people who have similar interests and want the same types of things. But I, I also find myself pursuing the same kind of things or even people. I don't know that I have a really broad view or broad spectrum in that sense. We sing a song that only a few people really want. Yeah. I think you guys made mention of that. That really stood out to me and hit home with me. Everyone's singing a song, but there's only a few of you that are singing that exact song or that exact tune. And that definitely feels like me. Right. And we will not adjust our song. No. (laughs) We don't know how. It's not even stubbornness. It's just we don't know how. And we don't need to adjust it. We don't need to adjust it. We know we're singing that song for a reason. Whether we understand it or not, we know that it's for a specific reason. And someone or some group of people will come along and lo and behold, they'll be singing that exact same song. You know, maybe we'll learn a new verse or we'll learn the same song in a a different key, but we're not going to change the song. It's not going to be a different song. There's not going to be some abundant change. It's still at the end of the day going to be the same song. Yeah. And I would say that some people by their nature, they're meant to change their song. Like that's what their role is in the world is to adapt their song to make more people rather than less feel at home. But that's just not our job. We were made for a totally different thing. I think so. I would agree with that. And enough of feeling guilty about it, right? It's Uh what we were made to do. And it can be lonely, but of course, the high you get when you find the fish is worth all of it. Of course. We should look into your stacking. If you're right, then you have the same stacking I do. I really obviously resonate with all the tricky bits about social. Talk about how your self-prez shows up in your life, because if it's your second, it should be fairly easy come, easy go. So you should be able to kind of comfortably assess what your body needs, you know, what your resources are like, and you should be more or less able to reach out and, you know, top up when you need to top up and quit when you need to quit without being too frustrated about it. If you need to do something to care for yourself, so say you want to go for your run or eating healthy or whatever it is, and then someone calls and says, hey, can you meet me for coffee? Are you going to finish your run and do that first? Are you going to go for coffee? I am going to find a way to pull both off because I really want to go for that run. Or in my mind, I really need to go for that run. It's not so much a want as it is a need. So if I can pull the run off, it might look a little differently. So maybe I was planning to run five miles that day, but... You'll adjust. Yeah, I can't always adjust. And so if I can't make a fine adjustment, I'm going to look to do something a little more broad. So maybe that's, yeah, sure, we can meet for coffee and then I'll find a way to get that run later. Or maybe it's, hey, I can't meet you today, but how about tomorrow morning? How about next week? I'll, I'll find a way to make that work. I'll even go further to say, and maybe this is tying that sexual back into it, but it definitely depends on who's reaching out to me to Amen. ask me to get coffee. <laughs> I, I knew it when um, I asked it. I knew it when I asked it. I wanted to say, okay, let's just say they're not that interesting (laughs) but even if they're not that interesting I'm not going either so (laughs) (laughs) there are very few people that I would just drop what I'm doing or have planned to to prioritize them for lack of a better description but there are a lot of people that might reach out to me and I would say yeah I can't meet you right now I can't do that and when you go into work like do you have a sense like if you're in a room with people even if you're not leading a meeting 
but you're just present, can you tell people who are uncomfortable or people who are getting worked up, can you read those kind of cues around the room at all? A big part of what I am intentional about doing is watching people in the room, especially when you realize that someone's speaking just for the sake of hearing themselves talk. There are a few of those people in my career profession. So I definitely like to gauge the room's reaction when those people are speaking. Erin and I, the difference between us with me with social last and her with that being her main thing is in a room, she's actually picking up on things almost intuitively and without knowing. Yeah, it's like invisible information. Whereas I believe people like you and me were actually studying facial cues and we are parsing the things that are visible and tangible because I don't have an intuitive ability to tell. Absolutely. There is nothing intuitive about it for me. I have to put in a lot of effort to really hone in on reactions. You're actively trying to do it. You're being intentional about it. Yes. And I think that is pretty important because in the stacking order, the one that we use the least is the one we have to be the most intentional about. I can definitely resonate with that for sure. And it feels the most tiring because you're expending more energy to try and learn it. Yes. So yeah, well, that naturally leads into the social last. You know, on the whole, I've struggled to care. (laughs) (laughs) And I suspect you have too. <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> so what's been your journey of like realizing maybe I should care? I think realizing that everybody's human and, you know, just because I don't care about something doesn't mean it's not important to someone yeah. else. And if I don't care, you know, I, I could really be hurting that person. Maybe it's not even my relationship with them. Maybe it's just causing them some kind of harm that they carry with them because someone they interacted with didn't care. And so I try to have more empathy for people and understand that we're all different. You know, we're pushing, what, 8 billion people on the planet. No two are the same sort of identical twins, and even they're different. Mm-hmm. Uh, so my interests, the things I care about, the things I don't care about, or they're small in the grand scheme of things because I'm one of 8 billion people. So I I think recognizing that we're all different and that's what makes us so great has helped me kind of on that front. Erin is my reason that I am starting to care. (laughs) (laughs) Recognizing the impact she has because she can tell and actually genuinely default cares about kind of the group and sees the potential for group movement and things like that. She's sure my lens, right? I don't know if you have like a social first kind of influence in your life um, in a person that kind of embodies that for you, but it helps to have a real person who you you (laughs) genuinely see their value and then you observe why. Why does that thing have value? I, I think the recognition here for me is that I need to pay more attention and pick up on who that person might be and do a better job of kind of observing them and watching Mm -hmm. how they behave. Finding a spot you can learn from. Absolutely. Well, hopefully this season actually does that. It will help people be able to identify the instincts at work and then you'll be able to see who you you might be able to learn from, right? Definitely. I am very excited to listen to the folks that you talk to. And I have been able to kind of pick up on some things and other folks who are around me pretty frequently based on what I've heard so far. So that's, that's exciting too, to have more of an understanding or an actual understanding of maybe what makes, you know, John or Jane Doe tick the way that they do, where I didn't recognize that before. That's it for today. We hope by now you've realized there's a lot more going on under the surface, and you'll continue to follow along as we take you inside the armor. <laughs>